Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome into the National Signing Day edition of The Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you, as always, for making the podcast a part of your day. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Or subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. I guess if you're on Spotify, it's not subscribe. It's actually just a like. Either way, subscribe, like the podcast, leave a rating and a review. Very, very lucky to have you with me. And very excited to bring you content moving forward in many different ways. But more on that a little bit later on in the year. Is that a good tease or a bad tease? I don't know. I think it was bad. Either way, exciting stuff coming. National Signing Day, though, that's the focus of this podcast. Almost basketball playing right now against Middle Tennessee. Um, You know, pulled it up, watched it, but I don't think that's what any of you particularly care about right now. Although, they're dominating Middle Tennessee, as they should. Romello White is a heck of a player, and that's your basketball breakdown of the day. National Signing Day, Ole Miss... Finishes the class, uh, sort of. So they've got a few more spots open. you got February signing day. There's a player that potentially may sign with Ole Miss on Friday because it's national signing day, but it's really national signing few days. And then also there's another signing day in February. few more guys out there that they might get. They're also going to hit the transfer portal. But for all intents and purposes today, national signing day. Ole Miss closes the day with the number 18 class in college football. So we'll break all that down. I've also got uh, Kiffin's press conference for you. A lot of interesting things here. He was asked about uh, Luke Altmeyer. He was asked if Altmeyer is going to compete with Corral for the starting job next year. Um, aside from that, he, he did have some good things to say about his young quarterback coming in. He was asked about guys being committed elsewhere and trying to flip them. Really interesting comments from Kiffin today, who was clearly having a very good day. And so I'll play that for you at the end as well. But we got to start with the obvious. It's something that I've been talking about for months. It's something that I told you about in the summer. Number one was you have to put recruiting into context with what was going on this summer and also relax and be patient because reacting negatively to a recruiting class in the summer is just a silly thing to do. This staff was too good of recruiters to be in the 80s for very long. But it cannot be overstated how difficult of a job they had in front of them this year. It can simply cannot be overstated what they were up against in recruiting with it being year one in a new staff with COVID, uh, no visits whatsoever. We've talked about this a thousand times before. You guys know the drill by now. First-year schools got absolutely screwed because of COVID. I know that's very low on the list of things that were disrupted by COVID, but you get my point. Finishing with the number 18 class and the potential to add a couple more blue-chip prospects to this class that's already ranked in the top 20. It cannot be overstated how remarkable of a job that this is. 
Ole Miss is the highest-ranked school with a first-year head coach. Arkansas and Missouri both did a pretty good job. Ole Miss, though, is ahead of them, and you guys know this. Mississippi State's down in the 30s somewhere. They didn't have uh, their best day. So Ole Miss in the SEC finishes atop the first-year head coaches. They got blue-chip guys on offense. They got blue-chip guys on defense. It's a very balanced class. They were able to get flips from big-time programs. Everything about what they did is just an outstanding, remarkable job. And that cannot be overstated. Like I keep saying on this podcast and basically every one I've done when I've mentioned recruiting, what they were up against. And to close the way they did um, is something that Ole Miss has failed to do for, I mean, really since 2013. Closing has been a problem there. And it wasn't this year. They almost got every single player that they wanted, which is just completely unfounded and unheard of in recruiting. Kiffin and staff deserve so much credit. And, I mean, not only did they sign kids, it's the way they went about it. It was, they were listed as one of Rivals.com's winners of the day. Everybody's paying attention. It's the tweets. It's the t-shirts. It's how they're going about it. I mean, he'll, and you'll hear it in a second, he said in his press conference today that they don't really care about getting early commits. It doesn't matter as long as they sign. I mean, who cares when they commit? They never panicked because they didn't need to. It's a staff filled with great recruiters who has branded their school perfectly. They navigated COVID so well, and they finished with a top 20 class, something that if you would have told me they did, I would not have believed you. I did not expect this. I don't think anybody truly expected this. At least they shouldn't have. There should have been a decreased expectation with COVID, but they nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. We had a listener today on the radio show text in and ask what kind of a grade I would give this class. He said he would give it a B. He was very satisfied, but said he would give it a B. I think that's underselling it. If you're going school, academic grades, I think this class is an A-, minus, only because um, they didn't get every guy that they wanted. And the number 18 class, while very good, and something that you can build upon, you know, that's not winning SEC championships. So technically, they could recruit better. But I think it's an A minus grade. They did so many things well. They met needs. They finished in the top 20. It's a great class on the defensive side of the ball. It's a foundation. Everything, almost everything went right for them today. And so if you're asking me for a grade, I think anything lower than an A minus is not giving them enough credit for how difficult of a job this was, how well they closed, and the manner in which they went about it. It's not just about signing kids. It's how you sign these kids that, that will set you up for 2022 and beyond. Uh, the next recruiting class, the next season. Now, suddenly, Ole Miss football is cool and people are talking about it. So it's not just that they sign kids. It's the manner in which they went about it. And so, yeah, that's my grade. A- minus for sure. They didn't get everyone. They tried to flip a linebacker that it didn't work. There's another guy that they they missed. But by and large, they had an incredible day. They closed, which is something that Ole Miss has struggled to do in the recent past, having good signing days. They get 
They win the in-state battle for MJ Daniels. They get guys from all over the country. We'll go through the class here in a second. It's definitely somewhere in the A range, I think, considering the expectations you should have had and the limitations and what they were up against. They proved to you that... And just give them a chance to have a regular season, a regular recruiting cycle. If next season is back to normal, what can they do after that when they can actually host kids? Because the biggest selling point, and Hugh Freeze got this one right, it's all you have to do is just get a kid to campus. Because when you're recruiting against Ole Miss, history has given you a lot of ammo. But what Hugh Freeze knew, and he, he, he was really smart about this, was that if I got you to campus, I could show you that history, the history that they're selling you on is just that. It's in the past. It's not what this place is anymore. It's a pretty cool spot. You, we can win over players, in his mind. This is what he was saying. I'm not, I'm not on the team. I'm not a we. In his mind, it was we can win these kids over if we just get them here. And Kiffin has mentioned that before. Their biggest card has been taken away because when you are at Ole Miss and you are recruiting, your biggest challenge is perception. Well, what's the best way to get rid of negative perception? Come see it for yourself. And they, they did this without even their, their biggest play, their, their best card. They couldn't even play. And so give them a shot at a real season with real fans and real visits and all that stuff, and the, the campus and the town is what what you guys remember it being, not like this past season. I mean, who knows what they can do if the staff is largely intact, and we'll see um, if that remains the case. But, man, it's just a, a really impressive job. And I mentioned MJ Daniels, and, and that's really where we have to start. It was the story of the day, at least in the state of Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss gets a commit, or I guess a flip, from a guy that was previously committed to Ole Miss, and then he went to Mississippi State or committed there, and then he comes back to Ole Miss. And that was a battle down to the wire and one that Ole Miss hasn't won in a few years. It was a highly sought-after defensive back that they really wanted. That's that's the thing. And and I had another listener ask, you know, what's the big deal around a three-star? I mean, why is... MJ Daniels such a, a hot commodity. Everybody was acting like this is the biggest deal in recruiting, but he's just a three-star. Well, based on conversations that I've had, Ole Miss was not the only staff that saw elite-level potential in this kid. Mississippi State obviously did. Texas A&M did. They were trying to come into Mississippi and take this lowly three-star out of Mississippi. The kid clearly has a lot of people with their eyes on him, or had a lot of people with their eyes on him. Uh, a lot of people around here think he's a very underrated prospect, that he is an impact player in the secondary. And so why was it important? One, because obviously the staff covets him and thinks he's a really good player. But you need to win those kind of battles. I have constantly told you that you only get the players from the state of Mississippi that can help you win games. You do not sign kids just to sign them. And I actually have to make a note because I wanted to talk about this. Um, You saw it the other night. An unfortunate situation where Ole Miss uh, had to tell a kid that they were going to be full. And he's going off to Memphis now. And that caused a a lot of stir around here. And uh, 
um, I caught hell because I didn't react on Twitter about it because that's the only place I can have thoughts. Anyway, more on that in a little bit. But you saw that scenario play out in front of your eyes. Better players became available, and so you have to sign the best players you can, location be damned. Maybe not signing that kid that went to Memphis, the offensive lineman Pounders, maybe not signing him is going to piss off some high school coaches. That's what the narrative is around here. Maybe that will happen. They could have gone about it better. And again, I'll talk about this a little bit later. But that was an example of what teams that recruit nationally have to do. You can't just take a kid that you think deep down is not going to be a contributor for your program. If you can get better, you go get better. It doesn't matter where these people come from. And I've been screaming about this forever. It does not matter where they come from. But when you identify a guy in your state, in Mississippi, that you know will help your team win, you got to get him. You have to win some of these battles here. And that's why the MJ Daniels signing is so important. I mean, they got a defensive back from Florida that was big time. They got a wide receiver from Texas that's big time. But if you identify a player in your state like MJ Daniels that you know can help you win football games, you got to win some of these battles. And they haven't done that lately. In steps Lane Kiffin. Now they win that kind of up and down and crazy, ridiculous recruiting thing. This is the kind of battle that they had to win. And it's a big-time indication of as long as this staff is in place, they will be able to win these kind of battles and get these kids from Loosedale, Mississippi, and also IMG in Florida, and also the middle of Texas, and oh, by the way, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's what a program that recruits nationally does. Sometimes you have to pass on kids from your state. But if there's one that you identify that's a player, you got to go get them. And they did just that. And that, that Daniels recruiting was so up and down and crazy. I mean, last week they had him like reaffirm his commitment. And you know that if you're going to have a signing ceremony with hats on the table and stuff that you haven't committed anywhere, um, recruiting is obnoxious to me. And because of stuff like this, um, I can't follow this. But what I hate, what I truly hate, is when a player like MJ Daniels enjoys the process and flips commitments and stuff like that, adults like attack them, you know? I mean, I joke about it on Twitter. I say it every single year, and, and this year, for some reason, state fans really got mad about this one. I jokingly say it's the same recruiting tweet every year. If a kid signs with my school, it's because he is a man of high character who loves our academics and did it for free. But if he signs with your school, it's because he's got bad character and they're dirty, rotten cheaters and they paid him lots of money. I mean, that kind of stuff. It's just exhausting. Um, But when adults attack and say negative things about children, which is what these are, um, I can't get anywhere near it. I can't touch it. I can't comment on it in some cases just because I see stuff like this, and it it just it really grinds my gears. If I was a 17-year-old, 
I talked to a very small amount of very small colleges about playing football at those places, places you've never heard of before. So I didn't get the pleasure of being recruited like this. But I did get to see some guys on my team get recruited at high levels. I, I use this example on the radio show today. Um, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Arkansas. That's where these guys went to school. And if you're being recruited by places like that, you are also being recruited by other places like that. So when recruiters would come to our high school to meet with my teammates, you would you would talk to these recruiters and meet them, and just every single one of them was really cool and was really nice and was charismatic and somebody you really liked. And that person knows your mom and that person knows your dad and your girlfriend and your sister and your cousin, and they're writing you handwritten letters and you're visiting their campus, and they're really interesting and funny and, and engaging people. And so when you're 17 years old and... By the day, your mind is changing all the time. I mean, when I was 17, there's no way I was handling stuff like this the right way. My mind changed every day, where I wanted to go to college, what I wanted to do. It, it was always changing. So these kids are 17, 18 years old. They're getting pulled in so many different directions by their, their high school coach who shouldn't be impacting this process or telling a kid where he should go anyway. But they're being pulled by a high school coach. They're being pulled by their parents and their uncles, and then they have these great recruiters that are talking to them and engaging with them, and they develop a relationship, and they become friends to some degree, and it's hard for these kids to say no to everybody, and they're going to change their minds sometimes. And don't get me wrong, I'm not naive. I know that in a lot of cases, players pick schools because of money or cars or mom got a job. I'm aware of that. But in some cases, these kids are just pulled in so many different directions that it makes it hard to follow, for one, because keeping track of the decisions of a 17-year-old has got to be exhausting anyway. But then the reaction to it when, when the kid goes somewhere else, and every fan base in America is guilty of this. Every single one. That's why I tweeted every year, because every single one is guilty of this. Oh, they paid that guy, or always oh, got bad character, or whatever. Um, you have never been in their shoes and known what it's like to have engaging, charismatic, friendly people from all these different great places trying to convince you to go there. And at the end of the day, you got to pick one. So I, I, I have no patience for stuff like that. I've got no time for it. Uh, it's exhausting. It gets worse with more people online and stuff. Um, I'm exhausted by it. It happens every year. And this Daniels thing is a great example. And then, and then when media, air quotes, media get wrapped up in these decisions where they, they get emotional and they say emotional things and they get into like these shit-talking wars with media from other publications that maybe cover the other school and it's like it, that's even more exhausting and that's just so immature and childish I can't dive into those weeds I, I'd never do um, I can't do it and you've seen it in this case and you see it every year it, people just embarrass themselves when it comes to the decisions of 17 year olds and especially when it's media that are supposed to be above it and they get down in those weeds I just I, I can't do it I can't imagine doing that. 
And MJ Daniels' recruitment is a perfect example of why I can't do it. Um, very good pickup for Ole Miss, though. Very important player. They loaded up on defense. I mean, if you look at this class, and Lane Kiffin will talk about it later, um, almost all of their defensive players that they signed today will be early enrollees. They will be participating in bowl practice. That is a huge, huge, huge deal. Getting these young guys immersed in your system, getting them in Wilson Love's strength and conditioning program, getting them there is is a massive deal. So they signed one linebacker, that's Dink Jackson. He's a four-star guy from Florida. They get uh, a defensive tackle, four listed defensive ends. Uh, you know They'll move things around on that defense, but they shirt up guys on defensive line. They added impact, immediate impact players, junior college transfers that are plug-and-play. And then they got a couple of freshmen that people are really high on. Then you look at the secondary. I mean, is that eight players in the secondary, if I'm counting correctly? Multiple blue-chip players in the secondary? Multiple four-stars in the secondary? That is recruiting with a purpose, but it's where they're from, too. This is what I love so much about what they're doing. So you have two Mississippi guys. They went down to Biloxi to get Elijah Sabatini. They went to Loosedale to get MJ Daniels. But then they went to Trustville, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, IMG, Pahokee, Florida. There's depth. There's uh, impact players, blue chippers from all over. I just I, th- Their strategy, the way they've gone about it, is, um, is very, very good. It's uh, I can't repeat it enough. So they did have uh, a very good day, all things considered. A lot of people are really excited. And, of course, there's also that other thing floating around. I keep seeing it, especially from Bruce Feldman, uh, that the name Kiffin being tossed into the, the Auburn job and people that cover Auburn, or at least uh, one publication that covers Auburn, has said that he has shown some interest in the job, and people that cover Ole Miss say that Auburn and him, it's just not going to happen. I will err on the side of people say that Kevin Steele is getting the job and everything else they're doing is a charade. Uh, it sounds like that is the general consensus here, which is crazy considering they let a signing day go by uh, without the kids knowing who their coach is or who it's going to be. It's crazy that if they do hire Kevin Steele, that's what happens. But here's the thing about Kiffin leaving, because I talked to a couple people yesterday, and they were kind of worried about it. And I know I did a podcast on this before for you guys about just the sentiment of you got to get used to this, because if you have a coach that's winning and is an attractive name that is generating excitement and you're not at one of the premier blue blood jobs every year, your coach is going to get implicated in stuff like this it's going to happen every single year so just get used to it but the thing about Auburn is a lot of you may disagree with this one I don't think he's going I don't think he would to Auburn anyway I think there is a handful of jobs that he would leave Ole Miss for even after one year I don't think any of those jobs are open currently it's just my opinion I could be dead wrong he could take that job next week I don't know doesn't feel that way. feels like Auburn's going a different direction. But, and a lot of you may not like this, 
If I'm the head coach at Ole Miss and Auburn wants to call me, I answer the phone. I, I, I answer the phone. If another radio station wants to call me to ask me questions about, you know, you know, about the job and, you know, they've got one open and am I interested, I answer the phone. Because who knows if they've got an offer that I can't refuse. I think Auburn is a better job than Ole Miss. I think that's something that nobody can really disagree with. I don't think the gap is big enough to justify that move after one year when that's kind of your brand. And Anyway, again, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. But if that reporting is true, it makes sense to me because that's what I would have done. You at least hear somebody out, especially somebody that is seemingly desperate who has a lot of money. Because desperate people with a lot of money do ridiculously irresponsible things with that money. So I answer the phone. I hear them out. Um, It wouldn't bother me if I were you that if that was even true. And it may not be. It's possible. In fact, I think it's likely that that's just his agent doing what good agents do. And that's getting your guy's name out there and connected with other jobs to increase leverage. And they've already got a ton on Ole Miss right now. But to increase leverage for his definite incoming massive raise and contract extension. Uh, it's That's what good agents do. That's what Jimmy Sexton does. He gets his guys named for a lot of jobs. And that could be going on here as well. But like I said, if, if Auburn wanted to talk to me, I'd call. Or I, I'd, I'd listen to the call. I'd answer it and hear him out. Just, you know, what do you give me $10 million? Okay. That's something that you're going to have to get used to. I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, he may leave. And that's something that fans, I, I think, just need to get used to. Um, I, he's got no loyalty to Ole Miss. He's got no ties uh, to Mississippi. It's possible. It's very possible that he sees this as a springboard to a better job. I told you on a a podcast before, and I say it on the radio all the time, I don't think there are as many better jobs as the one he's currently got in college football. I think, um, and and Neil McCready said this first, this is not an original thought uh, on my part, but um, they might be surprised. He sounds surprised. He says it in his press conference, and I'm going to play for you in a little bit, uh, that they performed so well, that they closed so well. He was surprised by that. Um, I think that another year or two, and he will be a, a hot commodity from major jobs. And I don't think it's a secret, and I don't think it's a mistake to think that he would prefer to have a handful of other jobs besides Ole Miss, and that's okay. One of the guys I talked to yesterday, it really bothered them. That's okay. Um, he's a West Coast guy who's got a house in outside of Miami. I mean, what happens if the Miami job comes open in two years? Uh, what happens if UCLA comes open? Those are the kind of things that, um, I mean, can happen. But here's what you do in the interim. In the meantime, until he is gone, one, you appreciate what you got, which is a hell of an offense that you're getting at least two years of, possibly more, possibly a lot more. I, I don't know. You're getting a hell of an offense. 
recruiting strategies that work, marketing strategies that work, and really fun times ahead. And if he does in fact leave, if Miami or UCLA or whatever comes open and he takes that job, what you do is you thank him because what he's doing right now is only making Ole Miss more attractive for the next hire and the next batch of recruits. He's currently elevating your program. So don't worry about whether or not he's going to leave. He might, he might not. I don't know. But I don't think that he's going to be at Ole Miss forever. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's making your job better. Everything that's going on right now is elevating your program. So don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. It's not going to happen this year anyway. So just don't worry about it. But what you can do is when... Um, I think it's coming soon. He's teased it on our show, like I've told you, is when the capital campaign comes open, give to it if you can. Buy season tickets. Wear your stuff everywhere. That's how you can keep that person. That's what happened to Clemson. Clemson wasn't an elite job when Dabo took over, but now it's become one. And the prospect of him leaving, um, I mean... There's not really an upgrade in job anymore. He's made it that. But Clemson people have aided that. They fill the stadium every Saturday. They donate to the school. They're upgrading everything all the time. They have so much football money coming in that they've made it an elite-level job. You've got to do the same thing here if that's what you want. And he still may end up leaving, and that's okay. Never be afraid of your coach leaving, and you don't make hires based on will he be here 10 years or not. You don't, you don't make those decisions. So, like I said, don't worry about it. He may leave. He may stay. But for as long as he's at Ole Miss, he's elevating your job and making it more attractive for the next guy and the next batch of recruits. It's all that matters. And if he goes somewhere else, thank him for it. I don't think that place is going to be Auburn. I think it's a small number of schools uh, that are definitively better jobs than the one he's got. And I do not think Keith Carter is going to let money be the thing that holds him back. If that's the only thing. But we'll see. Um, My advice would be, again, just don't worry about it right now. No reason to worry about that right now. Let's go to Lane Kiffin now. He had some interesting stuff to say. I'm fascinated by a couple of his answers. One, uh, when he talked about uh, not pushing for early commits and how they don't really care about that. Um, He had Derek Nix had to leave practice to make sure they still locked up a player. Talks about uh, what the early enrollees are going to do in practice. Stuff like that. So really good stuff here from Lane Kiffin. And uh, I'll play that for you right now. It'll also end the podcast, which is, by the way, brought to you by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue right there in Oxford. Uh, Go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you. Get one of their daily lunch specials, which is Monday through Friday, but they're open seven days a week. So go by, see Greg, tell him we sent you. That's LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue right there in Oxford. Thank you so much for making the show a part of your day. I always appreciate all of you, every single one of you, and that number of you is growing, which is awesome. So thank you. Um, We'll go to Kiffin now, and that will end the podcast. So thank you for making it a part of your day, and I'll talk to you on Friday with an LSU preview.
open up with an opening statement about signing day and then we'll take questions. Yeah, so when we talk numbers here and things, um, you know, obviously there's still stuff going on. So discuss um, guys that we have papers. So uh, we have 23 signees, um, three junior college kids, <clears throat> a really good part of 16 mid-years. So especially as we know we need defensive help. Um, if you watched our games this year, you know that. And so <clears throat> we knew we needed to sign defensive players, especially defensive line and, and secondary, you know, with a lot of returning linebacker numbers that we have. So <clears throat> of the 13 defensive players so far, 11 of those guys are mid-years, which is huge because if we need guys to help next year, obviously them being here next month, some of them even being here next week for bowl practices um, will be huge. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a really good class. You know, we got to remember, you know, where we're at with the COVID issues. Um, I've said when it, that happened in these dead periods, you know, that would, you know, the schools, the bigger schools that had, you know, been winning over the last few years, uh, I think that that was going to help them because if kids can't go visit places, it's hard to win them over. You know, you can't go in their homes, they can't come see you. So I think a lot of times kids are just going to go with what they know, maybe what they've already seen or, you know, what, who's been playing in major bowl games the last few years. So I think our assistant coaches did a really good job utilizing the Zooms and trying to do the best that we could. You know, kids not coming here, which I think is one of the strong points here, the game day environment, the pregame, the town, the university. So just made the most of situation that we we're in and I think with that being said you know to sign a top 20 class you, know, you gotta give a lot of credit to our recruiting people and um, and our assistant coaches Parrish go ahead with the question playing the word commitment gets thrown around a lot in recruiting but when you hear that a, a player is committed to another school does, does that change your approach or what, what is your approach to recruiting a player that has been committed uh, it doesn't mean anything you know Tell a kid signs really doesn't mean anything. They're committed. All it does is tell you, you know, who who your challenge is, who you're going against. So <clears throat> that's why we don't push for early commitments. Which, if you look at us, you know, a month two ago, I'm sure that everybody thought we suck, you know, and can't recruit. So um, there's kind of a plan when you've been doing this long enough. So we we don't care about early commitments. But other guys and a number of our guys that sign today, you know had told us a long time ago they were coming and we told them not to put it out so um it's all it's all game until they sign what uh how do you project uh, uh mj daniels uh one position more than one position two sides of the ball what, what do y'all see for him uh, i think potentially could play a little bit uh, definitely a special teams offense um but primarily a defensive player um, one that could play corner safety nickel We've talked about all the spots, and um, really good player, really good late get, and um, you know to have those papers this morning while everybody else was watching, you know his press conference and all that was pretty exciting. John, go ahead. Lane, um, what did you kind of see from Luke Altmaier that really uh, stood out to you, and, and what are your like kind of thoughts on him, and, and what do you think he's going to kind of bring to to your team? Well, I think he's got special talent. I think he's a natural leader. Um, 
really good family, uh, good feet, quick release, good arm angle throws. Uh, just really excited about him, and <clears throat> I think you could see some of his leadership in the way that he recruited. I think that really, I think <clears throat> people say, what was the turn in recruiting? I think one was on-field performance, you know, by us playing well and showing, you know, our players having fun, excitement, the uniforms, uh, the energy, and um, and then I think the second thing was Luke turning, you know, kind of became a cool thing to do, and, and he helped recruit these guys too. And I know, obviously, um, Matt's coming back, but do you do you kind of see a, a scenario where Luke could really challenge Matt for that starting quarterback job? Uh, I don't think that, but um, we think he's got a chance to be a really good player. Um, I don't think he's going to beat out Matt. Um, I think Matt's going to come back as the number one quarterback in all, all of college football, and I think his numbers this year, um, you know, are as good as anybody in the country, and so, you know, we got <clears throat> I'd take him over anybody and I love Mac um, but I think this kid's really unique really special and um, and just our, just his first semester with us on the field David go ahead Lane you mentioned the uh, mid-year enrollees and some of them will be joining the team next week have you got an idea of the number of those guys that will be with y'all next week and secondly, how do you begin to integrate those guys into bowl practices? I don't know that yet. You know, we don't know what bowl we're in, so we don't know the date of that and, and how far back till we start practices. So we got no idea about that stuff. And I do not know which ones will be here next week. Um, I just know that as of now, I think as of now, we got 16 that will be here in January. How do, you, how do you integrate the ones that will be there if there's an opportunity for them to practice? Well, they, they're, they're going to do more just basic stuff with us just to get a feel for them, probably go play service team for us to prepare for the bowl opponent. Um, you know, we won't have enough time to integrate them in, you know, with our ones and twos, obviously, because they won't be playing in the game. Nick? Lane, you talked about making those pushes for the DBs and the defensive linemen. What kind of is the pitch to those guys when they're seeing the on-field product and they know there's that chance to play early maybe? Is that kind of what the pitch is for you guys? Yeah, just don't watch the game. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> whenever you are performing, you know, not well on the side of the ball, um, you don't like that. But that's but there is a recruiting side to it too. You know, just like if you're a really bad team, you know, period on all sides, and kids say, okay, I can go there and play quicker. So, um, luckily, that's just the case on defense right now here. So, um, I think these guys saw that. You know, these guys had a lot of choices of places to go. Very highly recruited kids, and um, I think they saw a chance to come play early in the SEC um, at a at a program that really is, you know, a few stops away from you know being in the top top fifteen probably. You've uh, seems like a lot of the defensive backs that you targeted in this class are guys who can play corner, safety, nickel, all of the positions. What's what's the advantage of going after these guys who can be super versatile in the backfield? Yeah, it just helps the coordinator, you know, that he can play a lot of different things and, and you can disguise things and all of a sudden, you know, your nickel's going back to play the middle third or deep half. And so <clears throat> the better players you can get, the more athletic players you can get, the better. Um, you know, we've always tried to even find, you know, quarterbacks that end up being DBs so, you know, that they got, you know, really good field awareness to play all the different spots. Nancy? 
guys talk about the job that Deke uh, Adams has done for this class. I know Ole Miss has had trouble with the defensive line over the uh, past few classes. Just kind of talk about the job he did. Did a really good job. Um, <clears throat> we're still going. Um, hopefully two more there. So, um, and a huge need. We said DBs and D-line, but D-line number one. Um, you know, you, you guys know better than me that, you know, there's been a struggle here the last few years. And, you know, when we got here, we saw that, unfortunately, you know, with the lack of depth there. So, <clears throat> big need for us and something that was hard to address in the first class just because we got here so late. Hello, question uh, with the defensive backs. I believe my count is you got nine defensive backs that's going to enter the January camp. Uh, report to you in January. How do you implement so many new guys going in there? I got eight, so um, and all eight are mid years, which is crazy, which is awesome because you're talking about eight high school kids, not junior college kids for eight high school mid years. That's that's pretty amazing. So uh, they'll be in there, and that position obviously plays a lot of special teams too, um, which is great. Thank you. Yep. Nick, do you have a number in mind of how many people you want to take in February, or are you going to kind of try and stay flexible like you did last year? We're always flexible. Um, this is challenging because, you know, there were a number of kids that wanted to come today that we had to say no to just because of, you know, free agency that's coming. So it's really like there's this was signing day, then there's another signing day in February. So how many spots are you going to leave for that? Then you got free agency coming up for the first time in, in college football history, you know, with the one-time transfer, which <clears> – <throat> Telling you, going through these numbers, these schools aren't going to have many spots. So, this one-time transfer thing is great for kids, and everybody wants it, but it's not going to be that great for kids in the end because there's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of kids that think they're going somewhere, and there's no spots because we're capped now too with this other cap the last couple of years. So, unfortunately, all these kids are think they're going to go somewhere, and they're not going to have places to go. You kind of bring up that idea of having to tell kids that want to come that they can't. How difficult are those conversations and how do you handle those situations where you think you can take a kid and then last minute you can't? It's difficult. You know, it happens everywhere, but it happens especially when, you know, you kind of start the year slow from a recruiting standpoint, you know, just because we hadn't been here. And remember, we're signing a lot of these kids we have never met in person. So it was a strange year. And then when all this energy started happening in the program and, you know, like the shirt they sent me, exciting team, you know, and these kids say it. Um, all of a sudden, I wish we had 50 scholarships, you know. Very, very different than 12 months ago. Our program's in a much different place. The way that people view our program, specifically parents and recruits, than 12 months ago. I mean, it's like we're at a different school. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, Lane, uh, I saw your Twitter feed today having some fun. Um, I know you've been wearing the flipness shirts, and I saw you recently something referring to the Jackson State. Um, I guess for you, what's your reaction on what you and Dion have done during this recruiting period with flipping some big, big time names? Well, I was just said retweet if you didn't lose anybody to Jackson State, so we didn't, so I just hit retweet. Um, that's awesome what he's doing. Um, Really neat, really cool. I mean, I walked by the TV on the way to practice on ESPN today, and so I've said it before. You know, you hire a head coach sometimes it helps your football program. Sometimes you hire a unique head coach it helps your entire university and changes the perception of your university and the amount of energy and um, you know 
you know about how many kids want to go to the school, how many applications come in. So, you know, it's why football has always, you know, always been the driving forces at schools. And I'm sure that's happening there. David, go ahead. Wayne, you signed the kicker, Caden Costa, in this class. Uh, if you would, just kind of tell us what you what you think he's going to bring to the program that you used the scholarship on a kicker. Well. <clears throat> You know, this position's hard to evaluate, obviously, um, for everybody, but especially in college because it's not like the NFL where you have all the time with them. So you end up – we've always kind of ended up leaning on people that that's their thing, you know. Um, Chris Saylor, other people that work with the kids and stuff. So, um, you know, those people raved about him. I think that he won a lot of areas in the kicking camp, you know, that they had. Had him number one in a number of areas. So I've always said, you know, if you find a special one, put him on scholarship everybody wants to do the walk-on thing and so well that sounds great every say oh don't waste a scholarship you know until you're at the end of the game you lose the game for a wide right so um i bet ed ogeron's pretty happy that he's got a kicker on scholarship so after saturday joe go ahead yeah like, just with your class uh that, that you're bringing in i guess in your experience um and even the situation that you are now, what do you think is the year that you'll kind of get the return on your investment in these recruits? I've heard, I've heard coaches say, you know, you only see what players can reach for potentially maybe three years after they come in. I guess for you, what what's kind of that time frame for you do you want to see a return? Well, we've never stayed anywhere that long, so I'm not really sure how that works. But um, that was a joke. Okay, Joe. Um I think, yeah, a lot of times year three, especially with high school kids, um, you know, but I think because of all the transfers that are going to happen at places and stuff, I think you're going to see more than ever. You're going to be forced to play play kids, you know, in their first year. So I, I think you'll see an impact next year. Nick? Just for Saturday, did all the tests you expected this week come back clean? Are you back at a, as close to full slate as you can be? We are. Um, we are back. Um, the last guys are trickling in here yesterday and today, um, and I think we've been three or four tests in a row with nothing. So hopefully we can keep that up here for the next few days. All right, any more signing day questions for Coach? All right, thanks. All right, guys, coach. have a good week. Thanks. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.